1: to a very special episode 67 of the Equalizer podcast. Chelsea Bush, Claire Watkins. Claire, guess what? What? The U.S. won the World Cup. They won the World Cup. They won the freaking World Cup. Four stars. Four stars. Uh, Yeah, man. What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that sums it up. (laughs) Uh,
0: What a monumental achievement that they pulled off. I want to be clear for anyone who's listening to this later. We're recording this about a half hour after the game ended. So we're still a little bit uh, shell-shocked by by the whole achievement, but we wanted to jump in and kind of get first reactions. Um, they did it. This was like, it's so interesting, these World Cup finals, because it's one game, it's one half, really, second half, 45 minutes, 90 minutes, a tournament, a year, four years. It's such short-term and long-term at the same moment, and I think that's why... Um, it's so incredible when a team pulls something like this off. Uh, so yeah, incredibly cool.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, like Claire said, we did. We are kind of still in in reaction mode. So bear with us as we kind of you, you're kind of getting our live reactions on air. I think this was just. I will admit, I will I'll be the first one to admit. Until this tournament started, I didn't think the U.S. was going to win. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But I had a moment in the semifinal against um, England where I said, oh, my God, we're going to win the fourth star. And it was the exact same moment that I had in the semifinal against Germany four years ago where I said, oh, my God, we're going to win this. And that is the penalty kick. Mm. Yeah, it was it was just it was it was near it wasn't even a great penalty kick by Steph Houghton. Um, it, it, and for that matter, I don't even think it should have been a, a penalty, but it, it was Nair finally, and she'd had, she had great saves before that. That wasn't even her best save of the game. It wasn't a great take a penalty kick, but it was just this moment it, where everything kind of seemed like they were, it was falling into place. And I was like, okay, we're, we're going to, whoever at, the, at that point, we didn't know if you we were going to play Netherlands or Sweden, whoever it was, we were going to go on to win. And right. it wasn't maybe the. It was kind of, and and, and I'm going to write more on this for the Equalizer um, in the coming week, but it was kind of also similar to 2015, whereas I didn't think that the final was our best game. I think the Netherlands <sighs> really kind of came out and, and yeah. had the U.S. shook for a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah. I also kind of think that that, that took the Netherlands' best part. Of who the Netherlands are away from themselves. Do you know what I mean?
0: Right. So that game was... I loved it. I loved the final. Well, not... Once everyone started falling to the ground dead, I didn't like it. But the first half was wonderful because you had... You know, the Netherlands came in. They had clearly scouted the US. They had changed their game plan. Um, You know, do you want your team to try to grind out, you know, maybe a, a draw? No. But realistically, that's what they were going to have to do. And they executed it for 60 minutes. Um, And I but I I loved that they they were basically they said to the US, we're not going to let you get us early. We're not going to give up a dumb goal because we're scared. We're going to be organized. We're going to try to catch you on the counter because we know that we can. And we're going to make you beat us which is not how this tournament's gone for the U.S. Actually, it's gone the other way. The U.S. is scoring early, and then the U.S. says, we're going to make you beat us. Um, And so I thought what the Netherlands did was great. They did not execute well on the counter in that first half, and that is too bad. I bet if you went back and looked at individual efforts on their counters, they could have done much better and made the U.S. pay much earlier.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Also, too, I wanted to point out, though, that I thought that the U.S. defense probably had collectively their best game of the tournament. I thought Crystal Dunn easily had her best game of the tournament. Yeah. Uh, Becky Sauerbrunn was everywhere. Julie Arts took completely snubbed in, in the... She was my golden ball golden. winner. Me, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Just yeah. the best, most consistent U.S. player of this tournament. Yeah. Clearing up everything that came for Um, Dogkeeper had a few sketchy moments. Yeah. I thought O'Hara kind of struggled. I thought Krieger was was pretty good when when she came on, but I think collectively they just they looked more like a unit than I've seen them at all this tournament.
0: Yeah, and I think also you talk about the Netherlands kind of taking away what they're good at. I think unfortunately for the Dutch, this was happening to them before they even played the US. Liga Martins has a foot injury. She's been off all tournament. Um Miedema can't do it on her own. Uh, Shanice van der sanden got benched eventually because she wasn't being effective, and Bierenstein was actually their most dangerous player um, when they pushed her a little bit more central. The thing for the Dutch, too, is they didn't really sub a ton in this tournament, and they kind of had one thing that they did quite well, and if that wasn't and and they weren't actually pushed enough to see what happens when that wasn't working. The team that came closest to that was Japan. And I do believe that Japan would have beat the Netherlands of an overtime if that game had gone there. Um, So, but again, like it, in a way though, I'm, I'm so impressed by them, maybe realizing that all of those things and forcing the U S to break them down. Um, Okay. One thing I do want to bring up though, this was, uh, this game was ultimately decided by a VAR decision. Um, I, I really... I, I don't know if this... You know, I can't project out. But um, seems to me... Like, this ref let this game get out of hand a little bit. For sure. And um, that might actually be why the Dutch defender was confident going into that tackle. The ref also initially missed that penalty, which to me seemed pretty clear um seemed like VAR got this one right in the end of the day um I think that you know that that the that the VAR was helpful there
1: yeah I I think after the quarterfinals that they were told to maybe slow down on VAR a little bit because there had been so much controversy because we didn't see nearly as much in in either of the semifinals or you know this was the it was this is the only one only call that went to VAR in this game correct Yes, it's mm-hmm. all such a, a blur still. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't see... I, I I think this is a poor job officiating. I don't... You know, remember when Becky Sauerbrunn was down, I think the second time, and she was bleeding, and t- the game was, like, not getting called off. Right. Like she had to raise her hand, and they still waited until the ball went out of play. That should have been called earlier. Things like that. I think this was it was a clear penalty, was a clear card. If, if Morgan hadn't been in the air, that kick would have hit her in the face. Right. So yeah. I think that's an easy one that, that they got right and I think it should never have that should never have been able to go to VAR, but it was Right. It,
0: I do think we had a referee that was struggling to control the game and in that way it was it was good that they had the backup to um determine, you know, to yeah, to determine what happened there. I mean, obviously, you don't want a penalty to be the game-winning goal. No one wants that. Um, so it was good. It was it was good. I think for everybody. Um, well, okay. Actually, again, sorry. This is my reaction brain. So an interesting I think thing I've I've thought for the U.S. this whole tournament is um, some of the game psychology of it. Uh, you know. A lot of games, like I said, where the U.S. scores very early and then they sit back because they've already scored. Um, and then mentally you see their opponents have to work themselves back into the game because, you know, a U.S. goal seems almost inevitable. Uh, this game was a little bit different. It seemed like the Netherlands were being held together by the fact that they had not let the U.S. score. And then when they did, they just they couldn't do it anymore. And I don't know if it was the heat or the fact that they had gone into overtime, they were on one day less rest, but just psychologically that Rose Lavelle goal that came after felt just like a reaction to what had just occurred.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a couple things. Everyone, I think they were tired. They did have a day less rest. They had gone 120 minutes. Um, they hadn't subbed as much as, as most teams. So I think a lot of that contributed to the fatigue plus the heat. Um, I also think that that had it not been for uh, Van Vanden the U.S. would have, the score would have been much worse. I mean, she was keeping them in it.
0: Yeah, and they were just kind of unlucky in that first half. The U.S.? Um, Yeah, the U.S. were, yeah.
1: Yeah, they they were putting good chances and good shots on goal, and she was just doing a phenomenal job. And obviously, no goalkeeper is going to stand tall forever. It's just inevitable. And I really think, particularly in, in the second half, after... Pino scored that penalty kick, and that they had to open the game up to try to get an equalizer. The, the score at that point should have been three or four zero. I think Morgan had a good chance that she she didn't get a good shot off. Uh, Tobin Heath had two good chances, and she stood too long in the ball. Well, okay, uh, I think the score really could have opened up.
0: Uh, this is actually kind of funny to me because clearly there's been this narrative of the U.S. running up the score. Tobin Heath didn't try to score. <laughs> she she, you know, as once they were up 2 0, she got the ball on a breakaway that I confidently feel like, on either the first or the second, if she had decided that she wanted to score, she either would have or could have come very close. She didn't want to do that. She wanted to hold on to the ball, she wanted to mess around and kill time. And, you know, I just thought that was such a funny, um, you know, differentiator from, from what they've been accused of doing. And in a way, it also almost felt sillier um, not just to try to score, but also, you know, a shot, uh, you're either going in the goal or you're giving it away. Uh, Tobin
1: Heath wanted to hold on to it for a little bit longer, and I respect that. Yeah, I don't know that that was necessarily a conscious choice of, of let's kill time. I think if she was doing that, she would have gone to the corner. I think that playing around with the ball inside the box to kill time is would be something a little bit different. Um, I just think she was overthinking it. I mean, actually, t- to go to the tournament as a whole, I don't think Tobin Heath had her best tournament. Right. Um, I think particularly by the time she got those breakaways, she was gassed. Yeah. And really didn't have it in her to just run at them. Yeah. Um, and I just I think her decision making this entire tournament of when to keep the ball, when to pass, was just a little off, I don't think. Um, of all the players who played significant minutes, I think she probably was one of the more Disappointing ones for me. Sure,
0: I. I mean, yeah. I. Th- I think your point is correct. I think in the eighty-fifth minute of that game, where they were up two nothing, and the Dutch had nothing happening, I think she was time wasting. That's just my personal opinion, though. <laughs> yeah,
1: fair call. Yeah. Um. So, who else do you think maybe didn't have the tournament they wanted to for the U.S. for the U.S. Um. Oh, you know,
0: actually, what else? Here's one. This is weird, but I don't think Alex Morgan had the tournament she wanted to have for the U.S. She did a very good job of finding other ways to help. And I thought that that showed an interesting kind of switch for her as a player, um, which felt informed by her tournament in 2015. Obviously she was injured in 2015. They say she's fine now. She didn't really look fine for a lot of this tournament. I think probably we're going to get some more news as players make their returns to their NWSL teams. Um, But it's, it's, I'm very impressed by Alex Morgan almost getting the golden boot. And I know that tiling game threw things off, but, but also her off the ball work, her, her foul winning was incredibly good. You know, that is a skill. And (laughs) it it just is. And and it's not, she's not, it's not because she's diving. It's just because the way that she moves forces players into fouling her. Um, or or whatever else and i just i that that was worth three goals to the us in the knockout stages it it's just the 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 offense that she generated by not actually having that good of a tournament was very impressive to me
1: yeah i think she she went quiet there for several stretches of games but again i like crystal Dunn. i thought this was probably one of the best games of the tournament for her her movement yeah was very very good her off the ball movement and she she takes attention with her wherever she goes and she pulls defenders out of shape yeah and she she just was asked to play with her back to go a lot more this tournament than anyone probably anticipated and play sort of a, a playmaker to either kick it back to Roosevelt or to spray it wide to Tobin um, Heath or, or Megan Rapino.
0: yeah I also thought you know I thought Becky Sauerbrunn had another interesting game obviously she she had a bit of a she had a head injury <laughs> um and like kudos to the U.S. Women's National Team staff for getting that patched up in like what 45 seconds that was incredible the Dutch basically had a power play there for, I think, maybe two minutes while uh, Sourbone was getting tended to on the sideline, and they just wrapped her up and sent her back in there, which, you know, I don't... I think that that's not, you know, a good enough protocol for a head injury, but um, the way the rules of the game are right now, it's not, you know, there's no incentive for a team to wait um, and to check if game if the game is being played. is certainly a game of this magnitude, but... Um, But she had another, she had a solid game today. Um, She's had an interesting tournament to me. I think she's someone who, I don't know if it's fitness or just age or what, but she's good for like every other game. She had a fantastic game against France. She had a less good game against England. And then she had another really good game against the Netherlands. Um, And that just seems like a testament to her, the mental aspect of, of what she's doing, that she's able to, be so effective even when maybe her body is letting her down
1: yeah and i think that's what it, what it is for me i just think that, that she's not in her prime anymore right and it's kind of showing and she's asked to do so much that the way this team plays and the way they kind of open it up um and i think it's just kind of kind of worn her down so i wouldn't have anticipated coming into this tournament that becky saubern wasn't going to be the best defender but i think that that's that's a fair call yeah um i kind to of want to talk about someone who didn't play at all in the final lindsey Horan. yeah
0: yeah i was gonna bring who that saw up. that coming yeah um you know and, and it's so funny too because we went through this whole tournament thinking surely lavelle is droppable surely you drop lavelle lavelle was bad against france we got a dropper you know lavelle did her hamstring you got a bencher but then this is this <laughs> jill was right you know Jill Ellis was correct. Sam Mewis was playing really high this whole game and generated a lot of time on the ball in that final third, which I thought was interesting and Mm -hmm. actually was very disrespectful to the Dutch attack, but it worked. And also, it was because of Julie Ertz. Um, If you have Julie Ertz sitting in that six, there's a lot of things that you can get away with. Um, But yeah, I think probably... Jill Ellis, and I think this is true, she said this and we couldn't tell if they were really mind games, but I think she thought it was true and I think it turned out to be true that that U.S. midfield has four or five players that could start in a World Cup final. Um, Ellis decided that Lindsay Horan was not one of those players. And, you know, it's just Ellis's job to win games and she thought she could win games without Horan and she did. So I don't know... I would have loved to see, I wish we could like run the simulation of what this tournament would look like if Lindsay, her aunt started every game. Uh, but even though she didn't, you know, they won. So what can you say?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't really think the outcome would have, would have been terribly different. I actually, it's funny because at halftime I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, you know, I think Rapino's obviously not 100% fit. She's not making those inline runs. Like we used to see her. Uh, I think Lavelle's giving away possession a lot. Maybe we should, we should, uh, so sub those two naturally they both go on to score so right. i didn't actually think lavelle had a great uh final right particularly the this the first half i think she struggled um i think the tournament she was good i don't know that i would say bronze ball good but i also think she scored in the final and that influences those decisions significantly yeah right there's the recency bias to those yes and that's awards. that's every tournament right um, um
0: yeah, I mean, I think Lavelle's greatest game was against England. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like it's kind of like Morgan Bryan having that game against Germany, like with those young players. And we don't know what's going to happen for Rose Lavelle in the future, but for, for to bring those in and to kind of give them a shot and have them really show up at least for one of these really important games—that's incredibly cool. Um, it's also, I think, the Rose Lavelle thing and the Lindsay Horan thing is interesting because. So the U.S. won this game. They won this tournament, and that's huge. It's monumental. I think the U.S. is going to lose about half of this team in the next four years. Um, Oh, in like the next year, for sure. Right, exactly. You're going to have some retirements due to age. You're going to have some retirements due to form. You're going to probably – we're probably going to have a couple young ones who maybe, you know, they've won two World Cups – they have some other things they want to do, you know, with their lives. Um, yes. And I think that the midfield is very deep. Um, it's very silly to be talking about this right now, but it's true. Uh, this is the now – the tournament is won. We now look forward. Um, getting Rose Lavelle the experience in this tournament, getting Sam Mewis the experience in this tournament, I wish Tierna Davidson had seen a little bit more time. Um you know, obviously, they had Morgan Bryan and Emily Sonnet, uh, and, and, you know, some other players in their 20s who uh, didn't get as much time. Uh, they were clearly wonderful practice players for this tournament. I think probably Rose Lavelle turning it on in a World Cup final is going to be very important for this team going forward.
1: Yeah, I think you're correct. I think after the Olympics we're gonna see a slew I think we're gonna see a generational shift. Yep in this team. I mean Morgan Rapino or Morgan Megan <laughs> Rapino sorry, you said Morgan Ryan, I got Megan Rapino set the record for the um oldest score in a World Cup final. Right. Um, a women's world cup final after Carly Lloyd said it four years ago. Yeah. So clearly the the U S is like a fine wine. They just get better <laughs> with age. I just but Yeah. yeah. I, I do think this was, the U S has always had an older team. It's just, it's a product of our system and how things go, but yeah, you're going to lose. I mean, you look at probably the, the front, the top three, the, I can't see those in four years. Right. Um, yeah, I think that, that the attack is, is for, pretty much like the forwards or, I mean, you look at this group and potentially I can see Mallory Pugh being the only one right. around in four years. Absolutely. And I think, that's that's concerning to me because I don't think that the Pew... I mean, she got she got barely any time this tournament. Right. She. I would have expected, and I'm sure she expected, particularly after... I mean, she got more time in the Olympics three years ago than she got in this tournament. Right. And part of that, I think, is mostly due to form. I think her form's taken a dip. But, yeah, but you look at... Besides that, you look at Roosevelt, you look at Muse. Haran did get time. You look at Abby Dahlkemper. Yeah. Uh, Tiernan Davidson at least did get a game. Right. Um, so, they did set you know kind of some things and for the future i also think that jill care cares not one cent no nope. because she's not she needed to do we've talked about yep. that on past she
0: podcasts. needed to do exactly what she just did and i don't think you can ask much more of her than that
1: yep well, I think that we've we've relived this final probably as much as we can coherently do. <laughs> right. We're going to just start repeating so, ourselves. <laughs> we are. We are. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back um, with another session. We'll talk about the rest of the tournament and kind of where women's soccer goes from here. So we'll be right back. All right chelsea and claire back for the second session of episode 67 of the equalizer podcast still basking in the glory of the us Women's national team winning their record fourth star speaking of records it's time for our fbref.com stat of the week um and on honor of the us winning the fourth star we're going to give you two normally we give you one we're going to give you two <laughs> number one the U.S. scored 26 goals in this tournament. That is a record for a women's World Cup. The previous record was 25, set by the U.S. in 1991, tied up by Germany in 2003. Mm-hmm. The next stat, Claire, uses your stat. You want to give it?
0: Yeah. No, this was the first time. Kind of like uh, when we talked about last uh, last podcast about uh, the defending champion meeting the host. This is the first time the defending champion. Uh, met the reigning European champion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, lots of records set, right? This is the most winningest World Cup team or consecutive streak of World Cup games, the U.S., um, breaking, I believe, a similar European, uh, similar German streak back in 2003. Um, yeah, it's they broke a lot of records.
1: They did. And as always, you can visit fbref.com. That's fbref.com. If you like these stats, you want to learn more. They are pumping it out every single day, guys. So go check them out. So, uh, kind of give a, a quick rundown of since the last time we talked to you was the quarterfinals, a lot has happened. So obviously, US won. Netherlands came in second. Sweden, Sweden took the bronze over England. England went yeah, home. Yeah, that's right. With really nothing but a silver ball for Lucy Bronze, which I think was Lucy Bronze, which I think was very, very uh, deserved. I think she had a fantastic tournament, probably best outside back in the tournament for me. But I cannot help but be disappointed for England.
0: England, yeah, England is a, England is interesting. Okay, actually, you know what, the England-Sweden thing is is very interesting, and I think you and I agree on this, that um, probably all out, the greatest coaching uh, in the tournament came from Sweden. Uh, yes, we've we've discussed this off the air. Right. Yeah,
1: we are both in agreement, for yeah. sure. Um,
0: they had a really tough opening group stage game um, and then really evolved from there and held together a group that was struggling with some injuries and changed their game depending on who they were playing and really believed in themselves. Um, England is probably one of the top four, top three, most talented teams in the world. Um, And I think their manager let them down. I don't think that Phil Neville did a great job of managing either the semifinal or the third place game. And it it just goes to show how far still in the women's game you can get on player talent um, and where tactics kind of need to catch up.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, everyone on their best day, all things considered, I think England was probably the second best uh, team in this tournament. Um, it's unfortunate that because of the bracket and just because of the way you know that they kind of let themselves down, um, they they went home with nothing. But I agree. I think I think Neville made a little, himself look like a little bit silly a couple times. You know, first of all, complaining about the U.S. checking out a potential hotel when that's something that every professional team does. They they also checked out the potential third place you know game. Um, if they'd have to go to that hotel for that game, so I don't see what the big deal was. Goes on to to lose the third-place game and then calls it a nonsense game. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Sweden players would disagree. I'm pretty sure that the England players from four years ago would disagree. And I'm pretty sure the England players from now would disagree that this was a nonsense game. Well, um, if, right. if you want to say that why do we have a third-place game in the World Cup, that's fine. That's a discussion. But to say it right after you lose, that's just a bad look. Well, and So he, I think on and off the field, he just made himself look silly.
0: I also think that he cost Ellen White the golden boot. Um, he he made some poor managing decisions. He didn't play Fran Kirby in the semifinal when she would have been an effective playmaker against the U S he did play her in the third place game. Um, and then, and then England mentally didn't show up for the first half hour. I don't know if that's a player issue or a coach issue, but they were not mentally prepared for this game. Um, they, and then once they had gotten a goal back, They brought Jody Taylor on in the second half and pushed Ellen White wide and killed any momentum that they had had. It was an actual tactical decision that made the team worse. And then after that, he said that the game was a nonsense game. (laughs) Which, whatever, he's a talker. But I just think that if you're gonna do such a poor job tactically, you gotta figure out a new way to talk about the game that just played
1: yeah i i i don't think that benching San, uh frank kirby up until then was up until that third place game was necessarily a bad deal i don't think she had a great tournament i think my expectations coming into this tournament she could potentially be the u.s um uh, i'm sorry still in the u.s most, <laughs> england's uh most important player and i think she just she kind of she kind of let herself down kind of let the team down and i think that her her getting benched was kind of because of her form yeah um but, and also, I think that the England always had issues in the back they were they were you could point to them, they were exploitable and and Sweden again just just like they do with Germany, they knew exactly where to go mm-hmm. and get that right
0: yeah, um, and also just credit to Sweden. they had a great tournament, they've had two great tournaments now. I'm very excited to see what they do in the Olympics next year, and I'm very excited to see them in the euros. Um, I wanna be clear, I I I don't want anyone to think that the Sweden team is playing anything like they did in twenty sixteen. Oh a, no,
1: they've you know, come so far. They've come
0: so far. It's a new coach, it's a new style, they're the real deal. I'm very happy for Carolyn Seeger and um and, and Lindahl and Fischer. Uh they also have kind of a golden generation that probably played in their last World Cup this year, and I think that their run was very cool.
1: They do, but I think they have players like Aslani and Lexinius who are going to be around. Yeah. That they can kind of start to build on. Absolutely. Uh, for Netherlands, I think Netherlands has enough, young enough that they're going to, I mean, you think about the fact that this is only Netherlands' second World Cup.
0: Yeah, I love the Netherlands. And I think they're so fun.
1: Yeah. Who gets to the World Cup final in their second World Cup? That's right. just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Italy. Let's talk about Italy. We've talked about them in a little bit, but let's go back to them yeah. because they, to me, were like the Cinderella story. Absolutely. Of this tournament, they they went a little bit further than maybe they they should have. Um, as far as like talent wise, like I said, if, if you're gonna lay everyone down, they probably weren't necessarily talented enough to get that in in a more difficult bracket. But they just they just blew teams away, blew me away. I had no idea what to expect from Italy. We don't. I haven't seen a lot of them. I remember them vaguely from the Euros a couple years ago. Right. Other than that, I had no idea what to expect and then I probably one of the best defenses in the tournament. I mean, I think their center back pairing was was outstanding.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um Italy is incredibly cool and and interesting from a social aspect as well, um where they're actually You know, I mean, I've said this before, that that part of the reason the U.S. is is so prominent on this stage is because of legislation that we've passed in this country to um, try to revert, you know, gender equality, particularly in sports. I think Title IX is very important to this run that the U.S. has had, specifically this generation. Um, Italy right now, they have a wonderful investment from their clubs. Juventus in particular has been doing a great investment in these players. Um, there are some government issues in Italy right now. They need. There are some rules about uh, women uh, being professional soccer players that actually inhibit the clubs from paying them what they deserve. Um, and actually, uh, Gama from, from Italy, she spoke to the Italian government this week upon their return and implored them to make those changes, to empower them to really kind of take hold of their own destiny in that way. And um, it just goes to show a little bit of investment, a little bit of support can go so far. And we saw that with Italy this summer.
1: Yeah. And that is a great note to kind of segue a little bit back to the U.S. Um, speaking of the U.S. and specifically, but even just Woso in general, the dust, when the dust settles, these players go back to their clubs. Some, you know, NWL players are in the middle of their season. Uh, most of the European clubs are, are going to start up here shortly okay let's let's make one thing clear the World Cup bump is a miss right
0: <laughs> in, what, my in, in what
1: way and like I don't think I think you're gonna see maybe one or two games where like say attendance figures sure jump but I think that they they came up with this idea in 2015 and yeah maybe briefly there's a bump but I just don't think it leads to anything you know any long-term Indoor Sale did, did come out with two announcements this week one of them was At, like, 2 a.m. for some reason. But uh, they've signed a a sponsorship deal with Budweiser. So, hello, adult fans, first of all. Right, yeah. And they signed a TV deal with ESPN, who's going to air about one game per week until the end of the season, plus all three playoffs. Some on ESPN2. The rest on ESPN News. The other games, as always, will be streamed on Yahoo Sports. It's not that different from a deal that we've seen in years past. Before the Lifetime deal came around, ESPN and Fox would usually pick up on the tail end of the season and then air a couple of games. Um, we actually saw ESPN do this at the end of last season. Yep. But my question is, okay, that's great. I'm glad you're ca- you're capitalizing on this. Um, where is the every game on TV three-year deal? That's what I want to know. Is, is that in the talks?
0: Yeah, I mean, what I would hope Here's what I think is going to happen and I this is not on any information this is just what I where I think this is going. I think and I hope that this is being going to be pivoted into a full season ESPN Plus deal for 2020. Um where the ESPN Plus USL uh broadcasts are run by that same Vista Corporation that does the Yahoo streams right now. And this is the year that those that that Yahoo contract is expiring. So I would imagine that probably they would pivot that into a broader um, deal for all games on ESPS plus in 2020, which that's, you know, that's great. Um, you know, I'm not sure the, pro- the production value would improve a ton, but uh, that would be a good long term deal. The Budweiser thing is huge, though. That is huge. And that actually that's the World Cup bump. It's not, you know, viewers on TV and it's not, uh, you know, some people getting in a, a car and going to a game every once in a while. Um, having a brand like Budweiser decide that they care and they want to grow this thing and be a prominent... They were given they were given the championship rights, the playoff rights. They were given everything just by putting a little bit of money into this league. Um and having some executives for that company decide that that's valuable—that is a World Cup bump, and I'm very happy about that.
1: Yeah, and that, that's a good point, um, because it, at the end of the day, it's it comes down to to a business, and it's it's when you talk about these sponsorships, it is a some sort of executive board somewhere, and and quite frankly, mostly by middle aged white men. Let's be clear, right. Who sit down and decide? Okay, what is my return on investment if I put X amount of dollars on this? And they look at it very long term. I work for a Fortune 200 company. I kind of, I have a little bit of insight sometimes into how these things go, and it is very much what they call a business decision. It, it doesn't, um, it's not a worthwhile cause. It's something we see thrown around with WOSO a lot. and I think that that's annoying. Um, so it's a fact that the Budweiser finally was like, you know what? this league the sport is going to be around right long enough that we are going to get a return on this yes exactly and that is yeah I, I'm glad you, you you brought that point up because I think that is that is fantastic and and we don't see a lot of long-term movements from the NWSL and part of that is its own fault
0: yeah um, I mean another I, I want to bring up one more thing just because we actually ran a wonderful piece this week that John Halloran did about the NWSL that um had an incredible amount of reporting in it where he broke um john's been doing incredible work this month if if you don't follow his work i don't know what you're doing but um the the ownership groups in the nwsl are retaining management rights after next year or after this year from u.s soccer um and they actually acknowledged uh the idea that u.s soccer might not be incentivized to pursue these kinds of longer relationships just for the nwsl due to their financial structure when it comes to the packaging. Of U.S. soccer and MLS. Um, And I think all of that is productive news as well. I mean, it's going to take, there's going to be some strain on the ownership to spend more money and to work a little bit harder. But I do think that that U.S. soccer conflict of interest is real. And I look forward to seeing what the NWSL can do kind of freed from those restraints.
1: Yeah, I think every step they take towards severing the official US soccer and relationship is a step in the right direction. Yep. Um, it's it just it's where it needs to go for this league to to become it's it's thing to stop being a practice field for US women's national team players. Right. And the longer it goes and that's that's where you're going to you know we still have players on this team who were around in previous leagues, players who are considered yeah. founding players. The more that those they kind of go away and the, and the players come up through the NWSL I think we're going to see them start to push for that step too. And then, and I mean, it's, we're sitting here and they just won the world cup and I'm thinking, do we have any idea when these players are going to come back to their clubs? And I'm betting <laughs> the answer is probably a, a ballpark. I know that. Yeah. Um, we
0: got an idea. Riley,
1: yeah. Yeah. I've spoken a little bit about it, but it's going to come down to individual players. Right. And when they go on their inevitable victory tour, are they going to stick the, the games themselves will be on, FIFA dates one hundred percent. Are they going to have a long ass camp?
0: Right. You are know, they and... going to pull players early?
1: Exactly. And I think that the further we we get from these sort of pre-NWSL players to get players, who, the more they're gonna they're gonna push back on that because we've seen that already with the current current players. Yeah, they're um, tired. They just they're tired. They they're so be with
0: tired. Their clubs. Yeah. They they understand that honestly, the best place for them to be for their long term health is with their clubs. The in and out with U.S. soccer, part of the reason that these women are like giant pieces of steel is because the only people who can survive the way U.S. soccer does this are the people who don't break down. And even then, they do break down. I think we're probably, I mean, again, I don't know, but I'm not. I'm sure we're not going to see Megan Rapinoe for the reign for a while. And it's not because she doesn't want to. It's just because her body can't do that. Um, and... Yeah, I I really you're right. I really hope that we don't see a level of sabotage there um, from U.S. Soccer trying to sell tickets to a victory tour and letting the NWSL just deal
1: with that. Yeah, I mean four years ago we saw uh, p- clubs advertising games with players who weren't going to be there with might be be their other their team or the other team because they didn't know, and right. and that was kind of. It became a very bad look for the players themselves. I'm not necessarily sure that that was always on them. Um, now after the Olympics, we did see them kind of come back more on their their own terms. that was different because they didn't they didn't win. Um, but i'm I'm hoping that you know we just we kind of things just get back to normal, right. Like I obviously, I want them to celebrate 100%. yeah, they deserve to celebrate this win and to to get whatever sponsorship deals and appearances and all that come with it because this is their moment. This is where they, they make their money. Um, it, that, that, that is going to be fleeting. Like a year from now, they're not going to be getting nearly as many opportunities to get these sponsorships, to make these commercials, to do these, these TV appearances. I mean, I just saw where Ellen DeGeneres invited the whole team on the Ellen show. And I am so desperately hoping that happens. Yeah. You have no idea.
0: For um, sure. They, yeah, but they gotta, they gotta, they, this is, you're right. I mean, Um, I was at an NWSL game last night and we were kind of chatting with the communications department for the Red Stars and this is now a big part of the season two where these players are going to be juggling from now probably until the end of the calendar year, a, a schedule of playing games that they care about and media availability, which is important both for the players and for the sport and for the Federation and for the league. Um, And so the scheduling of that is going to be very, you know, nuanced and complicated. And I'm sure it's going to affect the rest of the season. There's no way it's not.
1: Yeah. And I I just hope to see as much as I want the players to get what they deserve. I also hope to see that that the end of the sale is still prioritized. Yeah. From the players, the clubs and U.S. soccer. Yeah. So on that note, I think we've kind of exhausted um, this the women's world cup. I don't know that there's,
0: it's exhausted me. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's ex- we've exhausted it and it's exhausted us. I, I do kind of want to say one more thing, mm-hmm. kind of just to wrap up. Cause this has been said repeatedly. I think that Megan Rapino coming in, coming, not playing for her club, coming in with some injuries, picking up injuries during the tournament. You know, she didn't every single game. Yeah. She probably wasn't the best player, but to do the things that she did while all the time being constantly harassed yeah. for something she did three years ago. Right. The misinformation. Like three games that right. she, people cannot get over because apparently in our country, it's either blind patriotism or nothing. Yeah. to To be mocked by so many people, to be constantly asked to put herself on a platform and to speak about things off the field to have the, the, tournament that she had. Yeah. And, and you, you cannot come up bigger than when it comes to a penalty kick. That is the most mental aspect right. of soccer. I just, I think it's phenomenal. I, like I said, I don't think she was the best player, but just on that aspect alone, to speak eloquently about to explain what she's about. Yeah. I, yeah. Go it's ahead. just great.
0: Yeah. I, I want to say maybe let's do this. You're right. This is a moment to, to maybe to speak on this for one second. I want to pick out three players. We got Megan Rapino. What she did this tournament was incredible. Um, it's been discussed. I, you know, I also want to say that I've been incredibly disappointed by both domestic and international media this summer. It's really disheartening to see the way that we play games to get people to click on our articles. Um, it's hurtful. It's just hurtful to the conversation of progressing everything forward. There's no other way to say it. Um, Two, I want to say something about Becky Sauerbrunn who, um, there was a weird moment in this cycle where she had the captaincy taken away from her while also having very high expectations to maintain, um, the highest level of work rate in the back And also just in the tournament was asked to do so much more defensive work than the U.S. had even prepared for going in. Um, And she did that gracefully. She's a legend. Um, Very happy she got this win. I also want to say Carly Lloyd. um, Obviously this is her last World Cup. Probably wasn't the World Cup she wanted to have. Um, Probably wasn't the couple of years that she wanted to have you know she's been playing on sky blue that's hard she's getting older she was the queen of the last world cup and that simply was not her role this year but her being able to make it through this cycle she had the armband for a part of it every time she came in she did her job she was just a foul winner a lot um she's not going to be talked about a lot as part of this cycle because that's just naturally how the playing of the game went down but um her being able to do what she did in not having an active role this year um is is impressive to me knowing who she is and i commend her for that too
1: yeah i think those are all all very good points and um, to go back to what you said about just i know we were supposed to be wrapping up but <laughs> since you talked about the media yeah i think that's like, the whole rapino controversy, minus the, the kneeling, came because she was asked a question back in, I think, January that she never should have been asked. Right. She did not come out and start running her mouth off. She was asked a question by one of our colleagues. I don't know who it was. I don't need to know who it was. But a member of the media, that is you and I are, about going to the White House. So she hadn't won anything yet. And the question never should have been asked. It somehow died down and was picked up. Because the her name goes co- coming up in the tournament, and I just I think you know giving Neville headlines about Hotelgate, right. the narrative around the U.S. This tournament has been very bizarre. I think they there's been a lot of trying to turn them into villains. Um, they can't celebrate goals. They can't sip tea. Um, I saw on Twitter after the game, Lisa Devana criticizing the Netherlands player for wearing a U.S. jersey, which obviously was a jersey swap after the game and how that was disrespectful. Oh, come on. So I just think we've we've come to this point where it's yeah. like nobody, and part of that is just women being women. You're, you're expected to sh- sit down and shut up. But I, I think just in the grand scheme, when you, you, you look at things from a viewpoint of where the media is in our society, where the, women are in our society. The where bad go-
0: faith is troubling to me.
1: Yeah. I, I just think this tournament as a whole kind of encapsulated some of, of what's going on outside of soccer. I think sometimes we get to a World Cup, we get kind of in a bubble, and I think this one, there was no bubble.
0: Yeah, there, for sure. There was
1: very much, everything was viewed in a very politically charged lens because of where we are as a society. And I think that's very, very interesting. And I think that, that they all handled it very well
0: yep okay i'm gonna wrap us up we saw some okay, of the best wrap it up. we saw some of the best soccer we saw some pretty terrible soccer we saw some of the best of humanity we saw some of the worst the U.S. Women's national team are holding that shield on their jersey for the next four years they got four stars on top of that crest we survived congratulations everybody we'll have a much more analytical and reasoned podcast for you next week <laughs> all right
1: thanks for being us bye